Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This past Sunday, we ended our series on I Will Honor God, and we preached from the book of Malachi, and the title of the message is Where Is My Honor? I've had such a wonderful time through this series. Please enjoy. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Malachi, the book of Malachi. Uh, This will be our ninth and final week through our series, I Will Honor God. So this is the final message in this series, I Will Honor God. And God said, them that honor me, will I honor? And honor is giving weight to God's word. God's word, it, it, it means something. It's not just there. It's, it means something to us. It moves us. And uh, we've been talking about giving God honor. I will honor God. And this morning, our scripture is going to be Malachi chapter 1. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 6. One last time, if uh, I may ask you, and you're physically able, let us stand one last time. And then we'll sit down as we read the scripture in respect and reverence to the word of God. We're going to begin reading in verse number 16 and read through verse number 14. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If I then be a father, (coughs) where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priest that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? He offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor, will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us that hath been your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, and that ye say, The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. He said also, Behold, what a weariness it is, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn and lame and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful. Among the heathen. A title of the message this morning Where is my honor? Where is my honor? Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we close out this Sunday morning series this morning, I pray that you would give the proper weight to your word this morning. I pray that you'd fill this place with the power of God, and I 
all the stuff that's going on in the world, all the turmoil that's going on in our country, I pray that we would leave it at the door and clear our minds and focus on what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <coughs> Malachi is one of the last Old Testament voices calling out to God's people to make their paths straight. Malachi, even the name Malachi, it even means my messenger. And the message that Malachi is to deliver is very burdensome indeed. Now, this book takes place 100 years after the children of Israel have returned from Babylon. And so the temple has already been, been rebuilt in Babylon. And uh, uh, Babylon, the temple's already been rebuilt. And the people coming back from Babylon are saying, man, when we get back, man, things are going to be different. Things are going to be just like the days of old. Man, we're going to start back the sacrifices and we're going to start back the festivals and we're going to start back all the things and it's just going to be like the old glory days. Things are going to go back just the way they were, just the way they were for Moses and just the things that's when the law was given. Man, those days. And then they get back and things didn't turn out quite like they wanted to. You know why? Well, it turns out the people that had returned from Babylon, they were just as wicked and just as stubborn as their ancestors were. And so things didn't turn out just the way they wanted, they wanted them to. And so God, in the book of Malachi, makes accusations against the Jewish people. He makes accusations against the children of Israel. And this particular accusation that we just read about, God is accusing them of despising the temple. Despising the temple? And God even gets to the root of the problem. He says that the root of the problem is you, you don't honor me. That's the root of this issue. That's why he asked the question in that verse, where is my honor? Where is it at? I don't see it. So we're going to jump right into the message this morning. So the first thing we have is we have the confrontation. And the confrontation is this question where God asks, where is my honor? So if you're taking notes, you can write the confrontation slash where is my honor? Malachi 1 and verse number 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith Lord of hosts unto you. O priest that despise my name, and ye say, Wherein have we despised your name? They were despising, they were despising the name of God. Why? Because they were dishonoring him. If, they could, they, if God couldn't find their honor, then that means they were dishonoring God. And you know, these priests, they're supposed to protect the name of God. They're supposed to protect the name of God, but instead of protecting the name of God, they were degrading the name of God. In other words, they gave no weight to God's word. They gave no worth to God's name, and there were no, they said there were no consequences for their disobedience. They even said, 
Wherein have we despised thy name? They didn't even know they were dishonoring God. They didn't even know that they were doing anything wrong. They had no idea that their actions were despising, that they were despising God's for their actions. As far as they were concerned, as usual. And sometimes we get like that in church, don't we? Man, it's just business as usual. We wake up and we, we put on the clothes and we go to the closet and we go to the bathroom and we comb the hair and we put on the odorant, praise God, and we get dressed and we put our shoes and socks on and we go to church. At the same time, we sit in the same pew. We listen to the same songs over and over and then we get done with church and we go home. And it's just business as usual. Well, for these priests, business as usual was dishonoring God. So business as usual isn't always a good thing. When business as usual is, is saying, God, I hate you, then we need to change business as usual. They were saying with their actions, God, I hate you. And this is a serious accusation. I didn't know that I could come to church and me come to church could say, God, I hate you. Man, if that's the case, I want to change that. I gotta fix that. I gotta, I gotta fix that. I gotta get rid of that. I don't want my actions to say I despise God. So I've gotta fix this. You say, okay, I don't wanna be guilty of that, Brother Brett. How do I fix that? How do I stop those actions? Well, I'm gonna give you some statements to help you figure out if your actions say that you despise the Lord. If your actions are dishonoring God. If, number one, if your service is a drudgery. If your service is a drudgery. Malachi 1.13. Ye said also, behold, what a weariness it is, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. The word snuffed, it means to snort loudly in disgust. They just, when, it, when they thought about going to church, man, they just snuffed at it and snorted at it like they were just disgusted at the idea. Hey, look, these priests, they would go into church and they would shut the doors for no other reason, okay? They didn't have any good reason to shut the church down. They did it because they wanted to take a smoke break. Who knows? They just shut, the, shut, the, shut it down just because for no reason whatsoever. The Bible says they were on the altar until they got paid. If it was Friday, I am not lighting this fire until that direct deposit hits my bank account. Basically what they're saying. Until I get my money, I'm not lighting this fire. And God looked at that and he was displeased. He was displeased with their action. God found absolutely no pleasure in that. Church was a chore. Ministry was a chore. Man, just thinking about going to church made them tired. Man, they would wrinkle their nose at the thought of it. Why? Because their, wor their worship, it was ingenuine and it was selfish. They didn't mean it and it was all about them. Their worship was ingenuine and selfish. And when your worship is ingenuine and your worship is selfish, you don't get anything out of it and God doesn't get anything out of it. 
Why do you worship God? Why do you do it? Is it so good or is it so he can feel good? Why do you do it? And because they never met God in their worship, they left out hollow as they left out just as hollow as God felt. Let me tell you something, Christian. True worship is not a chore. It's not a chore. It's never a drudgery. If you come to church and worship is like that for you, something's wrong. If church, going to church is a chore, if sitting in these pews and, and listening to this worship music is a chore, if picking up that hymn book and singing scripture songs is a chore, if sitting in that pew and listening to the preaching of the word of God is a chore, if it's a duty, it's an obligation, it's something that I just have to do, but I really don't want to do it, that's not true worship. It's not. And either you've never felt true worship or it's been so long you forgot what it was like. Man, if your service is a drudgery, then your actions despise the Lord. Number two, your sacrifice is despicable. Your sacrifice is despicable. Malachi chapter 1 verses 7 through 10. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor, will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This has hath been your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who was there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither, neither do ye kindle the fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. So they would take the best sacrifices they had and that would go to pay their taxes but to sacrifice to God they got the blind the lame the uh, uh, the blind and the lame and the polluted and that's what they gave to God they would give God a polluted offering the altar it was a place of sacrifice, and it belonged to God. Yet these priests disgraced this altar. We have ministers still doing that today. We're on Facebook Live, and I'd like to say this. If there's another pastor or if there's another preacher listening to me this morning, I would like to say, Pastor... Your sermon is filled with funny jokes and clever anecdotes and emotional stories, and that's fine, but it lacks the Word of God. You throw in a few scriptures here and there to illustrate or back up your stories, but your sermon is really about you. It's not about Jesus. It's not about His Word. And pastor, you are setting defiled food on God's altar. Pastor, your sermon is sloppy. You don't do the work in study. You shoot from the hip. And worse yet, you don't labor in prayer. And you don't labor in meditation over God's word for his message, for his people. And guess what, pastor? You're setting defiled food on God's altar. Pastor, your sermon is cold. 
God forbid you should show a little concern or a little passion when you preach. Some preachers preach with the enthusiasm of a pet rock. Oh, you can, you can, you can, uh, uh, well, your passion is reserved for other things. It's reserved for football. It's reserved for golf. You can argue and debate with the best of them, but you show no passion for God's people and no passion for God's word. You punch a clock, you put in the time, but your heart for Jesus is cold and you're laying a defiled food on God's altar. You know what the problem is? The problem was back then is the people, they were involved in downward service. They were short-sighted, okay? Their service was downward. Instead of their sacrifice and their service being upward to God, their service and their sacrifice was downward for man. It was just to satisfy man. Oh, a blind lamb? That's all you have? That's okay. Just bring what you got. It's okay. That's fine. That's fine. Instead of standing up with a backbone and saying, no, that is unacceptable. It wasn't about God. It was about man. Now, I also want to tell you that sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were commanded. Sacrifices was a commandment. You had to sacrifice. But a vow, a vow was voluntary. You didn't have to give a vow. But if you did, if you gave a vow, it was binding. Look what they did to their vows. I want to show you what they did to their vows, their voluntary vows in verse 14. Be cursed, cur- but cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male and voweth and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. They voluntarily offered something to God and then all of a sudden took back the thing that they offered. Almost like they were doing it just for a show. What if I promise my kids, if you finish your homework, we're going to Pizza Hut. He just smiled right then. I know how to get them to smile. And what if I said, finish our homework? And they finish their homework in record time. Almost like they don't know that they can do that all the time. Okay? Oh, but when pizza's on the line, it's a different story. But I offer them pizza, they finish their homework, and they come to me, when we go on to Pizza Hut, Daddy? And I say, I'm tired, we'll do it later. Man, how despicable would I be if I flaked out on my promise to those little blue eyes and that red hair. And how despicable would I be? Let me say this. When you bring God less than your best, you're a deceiver and you're despicable. These people were bringing these, these sacrifices that it wasn't their best. Man, God didn't say that the, the, that, that the sheep had to be so fat you couldn't pick it up and had to have the best meat. And the, all he wanted was the best that they had. That's all God asked from us. The absolute very, very, very best. Next statement. How do I know if my actions are dishonoring or despising to God? Your attitude is defensive. 
Your attitude is defensive. Throughout this book, God confronted their sin. Each time in the book of Malachi that God would confront their sin, the Jews would put their dukes up and they'd get defensive. I saw this video of Mike Tyson, okay? I mean, Mike Tyson's in his 50s, okay? Thinking about getting ready to start back fighting. And he's, I'm thinking about, I'm starting to get about fighting. And then he starts hitting air, just fast. He's like, fast. Dude is in his 50s, he's still just jacked, okay? But, you know, they just get defensive. Listen to their responses to God. These are all in the book of Malachi. Malachi. I'm going to give you chapter and verse. Chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? 1, 6. Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name, and ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? 1, 7. Ye offer polluted bread upon my altar, and ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? 2.17, ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied, ye, wearied him? 3.7, return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? As if to say, where do we have to return from? Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? 3.13, your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord, yet ye say, what have we spoken much against thee? Basically, what they're saying here is, in all these statements, basically they're saying, God, if you really loved us, then how come things aren't working out for us? But the, but the point I'm making is, is they're getting, every time God accuses them, they get defensive. They get defensive. Have you ever pulled a hangnail and it goes into the quick? Oh, and it just hurts and then after a while it kind of goes away a little bit until you bump it and then you're victory Jesus I'm sure that's what you're saying okay it better be no um, but of course you know that's what happens when you bump it let me ask you a question when the preacher's preaching and he pokes a sensitive subject, and he pokes a sensitive spot, what's your reaction to that? When the Bible teacher is teaching, and the Bible teacher teaches on something you're doing, what's your response to that? He's only saying that because I'm here. I'm telling you that's not the case. I don't have this super secret TV in my office and I watch who pulls up in the parking lot to pick my sermon. This particular message has been picked for weeks. That's not the case. If the Bible is being taught, it's not the preacher that poked you. It's not the teacher that pricked you. It was the Holy Spirit. And how do you react to that? How do you react to that? I had an assistant pastor um, we were both assistant pastor in Summit at Open Door Baptist Church. I've mentioned his name several times. He's preached here before. His name is Josh Westmoreland. We were on staff at the same time, and we were really good friends, still really good friends. And uh, Brother Josh, he loves cars, and he'll buy and sell cars all the time. And uh, he had just bought a Mustang, and, man, he brought it up to my shop to show it off, show the Mustang. It was cherry red, nice Mustang. 
and he pulled it in to get an oil change. So I'm changing his oil, and me and him, we joke back and forth, and we rib back and forth, and, and I looked at him, and I said, man, uh, when, when, when are you going to be content with what God gave you? And I said it jokingly. He did not take it as a joke. Now, I didn't know it right then because he just acted normal. But a few days later, he pulled me into his office and he, he asked me to come into his office. And he said, Brother Brad, I just want to tell you, the other day when you said that to me, I got offended. Now, I know that you were joking and I'm over it now. But he said, Brother Brett, when you said that, I spiritually bowed up at you. And I just want to say that I'm sorry. Now, we, we're, we wrote, we're, we're still okay, and uh, we both apologized. But, man, that statement always stuck with me. He said that he spiritually bowed up at me. You ever have somebody bow up at you? Man, I, I, I tell you what, I was a bus captain in Chicago on these bus routes, and you give some of these 13-, 14-year-old kids on there and try to tell them what to do, bow up at you. When they're skinny, a drink of water, and you could flick them, and they go out the window. They're still going to bow up at you, okay? When the Holy Spirit pokes a sensitive spot in your life, do you bow up at the Holy Spirit? What's your reaction to that? Do you get spiritually bowed up at what is being taught and what is being preached? And then number next, your thinking is delusional. Your thinking is delusional. These people actually thought that they could handle their riches better than God could. They actually believe that. Malachi 3.8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. It's, it's, it, you know, it's something else to the thought that a man could actually rob God. Like a man could... All right, stick them up, God. Give me what you got, you know. Uh, that's where my mind goes. It's weird to think that, that somebody could possibly steal from the Lord. But the Lord makes it clear that you rob God in tithes and offerings. God calls it robbery because you are in possession of something that doesn't belong to you. In fact, everything that you have, we've talked about this before, everything that you have belongs to God. He just allows you to manage it for him. But the tithes and offerings are different. He did not give you the tithes and offerings so you could manage it. He gave us the tithes and offerings for what the Lord calls my house and the house of the Lord. When a Christian feels they can do what they want to because it's their money, that is delusional. Because it's not your money. And you can't do with it whatever you want to. And you're forgetting the reality of the situation. You see, when a man robs God, you know who he's actually robbing? Who he or she is actually robbing? They're robbing themselves. You're robbing yourself from the windows of heaven being open and the blessings coming down. That's what you're robbing yourself of. And really, you're not robbing God, you're robbing yourself. So this leads us, so now we have a confrontation. God has just confronted them with their sin. Number two comes the condemnation. Condemnation. And this is the question, where is your harvest? Where is your harvest? 
God very powerfully confronts his people with their failure to honor him. Now he presents them with a corresponding condemnation. Malachi chapter 2 verses 2 and 3. If ye will not hear and if ye will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts. I will send even a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it. The word glory in verse 2 there is translated honor 32 other times in Scripture. So it's one and the same word. And God says, if you don't give me the honor that's due to me, I will take your blessing and turn it into a curse. Your very seed will produce no fruit. Verse 3 said, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces. When they sacrificed the animals, the animals still had excrement inside of them. They would take the excrement, they would take it outside the sanctuary and burn it. And what God is saying is, if you don't give me your, the honor that's due to me, I will take your face, rub your nose in that excrement, and then somebody will carry you outside the sanctuary. I want you to listen to how Haggai addressed people who had taken good care of themselves, but failed to take good care of the house of the Lord. Let me read for you Haggai 6 through 1, 6 through 10. Listen to this as I read it to you. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. He that hath earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. You ever feel like that? You get your paycheck and you put it in a bag with holes in it? Uh, thus saith the Lord of hosts consider your ways go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified saith the Lord ye looked for much and lo it came to little and when ye brought it home I did blow upon it why saith the Lord of hosts therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from her fruit when you look to satisfy your needs over God's needs, you will always come up short every single time. He says, because mine house that is waste and ye run every man into his own house. What he's saying is, is my house is sitting there wasting away while you're sitting at your house. My house is wasting away in condition. It's wasting away in attendance because nobody cares about God anymore. Nobody cares about church anymore. We don't care about his words anymore. And one day, and you're not going to have them and you're going to wonder why. But while we owe God honor, God will never Owe us a reward for that honor. Now let me let me explain. Let me let me explain that. When we honor God, God guarantees our reward. So it's as if He's already given it to us. When you get a guarantee from God, it's as if it's already happened. We often hear that God says, I am no man's debtor. Well, God invites us to put Him to the test on that.
Malachi 3.10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me. He said, prove me. Prove me now wherewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. God says, prove me. Prove me. Christian, you don't have to be in a drought. You don't have to be answerless. If you give me the honor I seek, I will prove myself to you. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, decided he was going to prove God. He was going to let God, he wanted God to prove himself. So what he did is, at the time, Hudson Taylor worked for a doctor. The doctor was very absent-minded and a lot of times would forget to pay him. So this time, Hudson Taylor said, you know what, God? I'm not going to remind him to pay me if, you know, I'm going to leave it to you. I want, I want to see if you'll take care of me. So Hudson, it came time for Hudson Taylor to get paid, and the doctor forgot about it. And then when the doctor remembered to pay him, the doctor had no cash to pay Hudson Taylor. The next day, his rent was due, and if he didn't pay his rent, he'd be kicked out of the house. A doctor went home, and that night, 10, 8, 10 p.m., there was a knock at the door. It was one of the doctor's patients, and the patient came to the doctor and said, Doctor, I don't know why, but I knew I owed you money, and for some reason, God wouldn't let me sleep tonight until I paid you paid the doctor cash. The next morning, uh, there was a knock on Hudson Taylor's door and it was that doctor paying not only what he owed, but a little extra. And Hudson Taylor not only paid his rent and bought his food, but went to China. For any who will take God at his word, how he responds is not with condemnation, but with a commendation. And God says, here am I honored. That's point number three. Here am I honored. God offers us a gracious invitation in Malachi 3, 7. He says, return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, this is an incredible invitation. God is saying, look, if you return to me, I will do the job of cleaning you up. I will do that if you return to me. I will cleanse you. I will restore you. Now, basically, this is repentance. Repentance isn't just something you do at salvation. It's a one-time thing. Repentance is an attitude. It's an attitude of agreeing with God that my sin is wrong and turning from it. So once you become a child of God, you're going to repent for the rest of your Christian life. You're going to repent from your sin. And this is the act of repentance. Now, Malik, let's continue reading in verse 2. For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap, and he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of sacrifice. I want you to notice that God says, Hey, look, you don't have to clean yourself up before you come back to me. If you come back to me, I'll clean you up. 
Man, some people say, man, uh, man, when are you going to come back to church? And they say, oh, man, I've got some stuff to get right in my life first. I got some sins I got to give up. Once everything's right in my life, then I'll come back to church. And that is, uh, that is a mistake. That is, you know, that's not how you come to church. You don't have to do the cleaning and you don't have to do the restoring. God will do that. You come back and you let him do the cleaning and you let him do the restoring. The purifier has the vessel. Maybe it's a golden vessel, but it's old and it's got dross and crud on it. And the purifier has the vessel and he sticks it in the fire. He's got a trained eye and he knows just how long to leave it in the fire. If he doesn't leave it in long enough, it won't come out pure. If he leaves it in too long, he'll destroy it. That's why I want God to cleanse me and not myself. Because he knows what he's doing and I don't. That's why I want him to cleanse me. That's why he's the perfect person for the job and not me. Don't try to cleanse yourself. Don't try to get right on your own. Don't try to do it by yourself. You come to church and you let God do the cleansing. The Bible says a fuller soap. You know what a fuller soap is? A fuller soap was an herb and it only grows in Palestine. Isn't that interesting? It only grows in Palestine. Oh, hey, Facebook Live. I get too close to that. And uh, so uh, he, he, it only grows there and it's an herb. And what it is, is uh, you have a stain and you take this fuller soap and you scrub it. You scrub that herb on that stain and that stain will wash away. Now, look, they didn't have dry cleaners back then. But if you didn't think that they could get a, a white raiment, clean, perfect white, they certainly could. They just had to use some fuller soap on it. And Christian, let me tell you something. Whether you need to be cleansed by the fire or scrubbed with soap, church is the perfect place to do that. You let God do that. Don't try to do it on your own. Come back to God. Let him do the cleansing. Don't try to get clean first. But then you know what? When people actually do that, when people who have been backslidden away from God decide to come back and decide to let God cleanse them and decide to, let, to honor God with their actions, you know how God responds to that? He does it in Malachi 3, 16 and 17. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. That verse said, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. When a Christian returns to God and returns to the fold, you understand not only will you be encouraged by these other Christians, but these other Christians will be encouraged by you. And when Christians encourage one another, God sees that from heaven. And the Bible says, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. When God sees his people fellowshipping and encouraging and loving one another, he loves it. He listens. He loves to see true fellowship among his people. And then that word there, it says jewels. 
we are those people that return to God, even though return a, return a little dirty, they are his jewels. You know what that word jewels means? It means treasure. You know, we value and honor treasure. And uh, maybe you have a family heirloom that you treasure. I've told you about my father's, my grandfather's shotgun. I, 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 this is my most treasured earthly possession. The other day, we were uh, coming back from Walmart in Macomb. We drive all the way back home, and we get out of the truck, and our feet hit the carport, and Emily says, where's my purse? Wave of fear goes over everybody. And the purse was in a buggy in the Walmart parking lot in Macomb. Now, we're not going to talk about whose fault that was, so we're not going to talk about it. And so, uh, so I got in my truck, and I went from here, I went back to Walmart Macomb, and somebody had put that purse, brought that purse to the office. Thank God there's still honest people out there. They had brought that purse to the office. I told them whose it was. They looked through the purse. They gave me the name of it. And um, they gave it back, and we got it back. But you know what she was concerned with? Not the credit cards and not the money and not the brand new purse that she had just bought. That little girl was concerned about her daddy's handkerchief that was in that purse. That's what she was concerned with. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God says, when you treasure me, I will do the same with you. Sometimes we're assaulted with doubt. Sometimes we're assaulted with discouragement. But we don't feel like a jewel to God. We don't feel like that sometimes. But you know what you have to do? You have to let God's fact outweigh your feeling. That's what you have to do. Now, just like then, people are turning their backs on God. In Malachi, this is a spiritually low time in their history. And Christian, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but we are in the, the lowest spiritually we've ever been in America. Sometimes we, we're, on a, we're just kind of coasting along before we go down. We're on a steady decline right now, and it's getting worse. Absolutely, every day our country is getting worse spiritually. But even in a spiritually low time, God has his jewels. And if, even if everyone around you turns away from the Lord, you can still be one of his jewels. How is a Christian like a jewel? They're hard and durable. They're prized for their luster. They're prized for their rarity. They're made by God alone. They're of all different sizes, yet they're all jewels. They're found all over the world. They're associated with royalty. They are protected. Some are hidden. Some are undiscovered. Some are not yet polished. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want to close in saying this. Church is kind of like the bank. You go to the bank and you're disappointed you can't get anything out of it. You know the reason for that? 
So you didn't put anything in it. That's why you don't get anything out of it. When we invest our earthly treasure, not only do we get that earthly treasure back, but we get more than we put in. And how sad would it be if some Christians say that they made more on their earthly investments than they did with their heavenly investments? I want to leave you with some questions to consider this morning. Are you investing your best with God or your leftovers? Are you serving out of joy or you're serving out of obligation? Are you serving out of duty? Are you defending yourself and your service to God even though deep down you know you're in the wrong? If so, return to Him. He'll clean you. He'll restore you. He'll pour out a blessing on you that you cannot contain. Christian, remember these words. For them that honor me will I honor.